You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 185. The experience of finding the right greeting card is pretty miserable, and it hasn't really changed in decades. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time today and joining me on this show. And oh, are you going to be so glad you did. I'm going to be introducing our guest shortly, but you just need to know that Adam has so many good tips that he's going to be sharing today that apply to all of our businesses. Grab yourself a pen, grab some paper. You're going to see that I'm going to say a couple of times through this episode that you should go back and listen to it again. I know I will be. But before we get started, I want to make sure you know about my newly released free masterclass. It's called How to Turn Your Hobby into a Business. How do you know if this is for you? Well, if you're starting a business right now, you've gotten that dream, but you're just not sure what steps you should be taking this masterclass is for you. If you're already in business, but something just isn't clicking, it's not bringing in the sales, or it's just not performing the way you think it should, this masterclass is also for you. To check it out, just go over to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. I look forward to seeing you over there. And for now, let's get into the show. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Adam Donato of Card Isle. The greeting card industry hasn't really seen anything new in the last 50 years, except for the cards that play music when they're opened. Card Isle is a company founded by three engineers that changes that. They've captured all the magic that comes from a tangible greeting card, even in the digital age, and simply made it easier to find that perfect card. Whether you run an e-commerce shop, take most of your orders over the phone, or have a brick-and-mortar store, Cardile sets you up with more selection than a Hallmark store. It also eliminates the headache of guessing what card designs will sell. Adam, I am so excited to get into this story. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Yeah, thank you. I'm psyched to be here as well. So I met you at a convention a little bit ago, maybe few weeks or so ago, but I really don't know the story behind Card Isle. So we're going to get into all of that. But before that, I want to get to know you a little better too. We do this in a creative way. I told you that in the pre-chat. But if you were to describe yourself through a motivational candle, what color would your candle be and what would be the quote on the candle? I was actually laughing with my wife about this last night, trying to figure out this was just a very different question that I'm used to answering. And what ended up coming to, as far as a quote goes, the quote that has been sticking with me recently, something that, that's really made me think is, the guy who says it can't be done shouldn't get in the way of the guy doing it. Oh, I love that. 
it captures so much of why so many of us are entrepreneurs, that it's not that desire to escape or to make a ton of money or anything else. It's that I like creating. I like doing things that other people haven't done before. And so often you run into in some kind of structured organization, people saying, no, this is how we've always done it. This is the only way we can do it. That's so limiting. Yeah. And then as far as the color goes, this stumped me a little bit more. My wife and I enjoy getting outside a bunch. We do a lot of rock climbing, mountain biking, backpacking, stuff like that in the mountains out in Virginia. And towards sunset, if you look out and you can see the mountains on the horizon, they get this two-dimensional kind of look. And you get this bluish-green color that sort of the mountains take on. That color, I think, would be really neat if you had one of those thicker candles where the wick burns down in the center and you see the light shining through the candle, through that bluish green, kind of coming outwards, I think would be a really amazing glow. Oh, I love it. I can actually see that. <laughs> so I have to ask you, did your wife agree with your quote and your color? She thought they were good. Yeah. She and I laughed. We came up with a lot of funny quotes, but I think that this was one that we all settled on. You got to have one that we can use on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun. I hope it led to some interesting conversation. <laughs> that's fun. All right, let's get into Card Isle. You know, you talk about with your quote, the fact that if it's not done the same and people, you know, it's not something that's been done before, people really challenge you and question it. And Card Isle is definitely different. So you're saying that it's founded by three engineers. So that's kind of curious. That gets me <laughs> questioning. But talk about the story behind the creation of Card Isle. Yeah, so I was doing a PhD in mechanical engineering and had gotten to the point where I was all done with coursework and was just doing research at this point. Actually, just come off the Discovery Channel, was doing this reality TV show about engineers and flown out to LA and done some neat stuff with that and came back and Buddy mentioned this idea of this new class that was being funded by the National Science Foundation. And they had run into this problem in academia where they've been dumping tons and tons of money into research and the research isn't getting commercialized. So they've been trying to figure out how do we teach academics how to take these great ideas that do amazing things in a lab and convert it into a commercial technology, something that can benefit people kind of in a big and a large way. And so they created this class. And because it was through the engineering department, it had this brilliant and creative name. It was called the startup class. So you knew exactly <laughs> what you were getting. And they had four faculty members for 30 students. So it was like brand new class. They were trying all sorts of new things. And day one of the class, we showed up and everybody had to have an idea, had to have some kind of business concept that we were going to run with. And because much of my research was with supercomputers, I pitched a basically a better version of Google, which I still stand by, has some strong merits, but that was what I pitched. One of the other guys, David, who ended up being one of the other founders, does a lot of sailing and he pitched a technique for taking salt water and converting it into fresh water, a good, solid engineering solution. And Stefan, the third co-founder, stood up and said, well, we all buy greeting cards. We all receive greeting cards. But the experience of getting that greeting card and finding the right greeting card said it's pretty miserable and it hasn't really changed in decades. He said, this is an opportunity. There is something here. There has to be a better way of doing this. And halfway through the class, there was this intermission. It was one of these like three hour long classes. And at the intermission, we had only heard half of the pitches, and David and I made a beeline right over to Stefan. So we like your idea way better than our idea. 
And the very next day, we got together and started rolling with this. So one of the big focuses of the class, and this, like as an engineer, as someone who likes building things, this was hard. Big focus was go out and talk to customers. Go out and find what problems customers are facing. Find what actually needs to be solved. Because so often it's easy to come up with a solution in a vacuum that it turns out you're the only one that has that problem. So we went out and we interviewed somewhere in the ballpark of about 700 strangers. We got thrown out of a mall twice for solicitation. We had like, (laughs) it was an experience. So Adam, for clarification, your customer at that juncture was the end user. So the recipient of a card, not someone who would supply the cards. Exactly. Okay. We were heavily focused at that point on the end user. And yeah, as you have uh, alluded to, we ended up shifting towards like longer term towards the retailer. But at that point, we were looking at the end user, the person buying the card. And what we ended up finding, we saw a consistent message. And I think there was this one grandmother who embodied the message better than anybody else. And we ran into her and it was in one of those big box stores. And she had the list of five or 10 grandkids that were having birthdays that month. And she was picking out the perfect card for each kid. And she told us stories about every kid. And like, it was clear she knew these grandkids much better than someone who only sees their grandkids the big holidays. So she was looking for the perfect card for every kid. And just like warm and rosy and really friendly woman. And when we asked her what she thought about the process of buying those greeting cards, of actually finding the perfect card, like not what happens once you have the perfect card, but getting there, she went off on this litany of obscenities that would make your hair curl. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. She'd been to four stores that morning, and she was at that moment struggling to find a card for a middle school-aged boy that wasn't obscene and wasn't childish, and she was frustrated. And we saw this theme time and again, that people love getting the perfect card, but it is often so hard to get that perfect card. So at that point, we had collected this data. We had seen there is a problem, there is a large market for this. So the first idea that we had was we said, all right, what if we kind of meld some technology into getting the perfect card? And so we reached out to a bunch of local artists and got some phenomenal designs from these artists. And we got some money from the National Science Foundation through the class to buy some printers. We got one of those tents that people set up at soccer games and whatnot that you can, or tailgating, that you Mm -hmm. can kind of hang out under. And we set up in front of the engineering building just a little before Mother's Day. And what we were doing, we had, it was the like jankiest setup. People basically pointed at the card they wanted, like one of these designs that the artists had. They told us what message they wanted on the inside. And then we typed it out on a computer. We had a printer sitting right there and we'd hit print. And the big thing we were testing was if we can offer convenience, if we can offer with these local artists, we can make it much easier to get cards that really fit the people we're targeting. And we were at Virginia Tech. So talk about a university that is very proud of being Virginia Tech. So being able to get the local artists, the locally themed cards, making it easy for people to find the card, making it easy for people to access this. We were right there. It was convenient. And then the personalization that still gets you a professional quality card at the end. And so we ended up, we had to shut down early because we had so many orders, we couldn't print the orders fast enough. 
So we were writing down dorm numbers and had a shutdown and we were delivering cards to the students' dorms afterwards because there was such a line. Wow. I'm going to stop this story right here because it's so potent, (laughs) Adam. And I don't want to lose it. I want to, because there's so much here. I want all of our listeners to capture all of this. I've gotten four points in your evolution of this business, and we're not even to really what Cardile is yet, totally. <laughs> the thing, have you ever heard the term blue ocean versus red ocean? I have. Okay. Yeah. So you totally have a blue ocean business for sure. Do you want us to describe blue ocean for the listeners or should I do it real quick? How about you do it? Okay. So blue ocean, you guys, is, you know, there's a red ocean or there's a blue ocean. A red ocean means it's shark infested, if you will. There's so much competition out there because there are so many people doing something similar to what you're doing. So it could be in the way you're describing your product, you make cupcakes, for example. There's not a lot of difference. There's a lot of other cupcakes out there. What could you do to make yourself different so you're not in those shark-infested waters? Another way you can do it, which is what Adam's done, and it was Stefan, Stephen, Stefan, Stefan. Stefan, who identified a blue ocean opportunity with the greeting cards. If they could change the experience of acquiring and what that greeting card was, no one else is doing that. So it's kind of like if you can stay with the ocean strategy here is you go into this blue ocean where you're just swimming free. There's not a lot of competition and it makes things easier. Although, Adam, I know it can be challenging too. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But so the first thing was just identifying an opportunity and this opportunity was sitting right in a blue ocean. So that's the first thing. The other thing that they did was they went out and they did some research. It was kind of like a checkpoint to see if what they thought was such a good idea really was, i.e. the story about the grandmother. Then they went out and tested a little bit further. And this is a big point to you guys. You heard how he's just describing on the campus. They didn't have the refined end product yet. They hadn't spent all the money and done everything yet. They've brought it to a point where they could bring it to market and test it as like the first step of development. And I know there was some investment there already, Adam, but it was the first step of seeing whether this was going to fly. So a lot of things moving into what would end up being the company. They also saw, and this was point four, demand. You know, you can have the best thing in the world. It's cool. It solves a problem. But if people aren't really interested in it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to sell any. So opportunity, research and a checkpoint, developing the product kind of in a rough scale, checking it out, testing the market, and then seeing that their demand are the four steps we've gotten through already. So Adam, I'm loving this story. I hope you don't mind that I interrupted, but I wanted to catch all those points for everybody. Not a problem at all. So we're at the point where you guys are delivering the cards because there was so much demand. You had to shut down early. And so you guys had to be excited. Like you guys were college kids yet. Did you go, guys go out and have a beer in celebration that night or what? <laughs> <laughs> we were all definitely, yeah, over 21 at that point. There was plenty of celebration. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Because you're like, because you were probably thinking, okay, we've done all this stuff now, all this work, and it's really working. Yeah. Well, and it was working better than we expected it to work too. Like that was part of the excitement too. Sure. Okay. So carry on. So everyone got their cards. What happens next? Yeah. So at that point, the two big things that we identified that we really wanted to hone in on were the personalization 
And with that personalization, like access to local artists and being able to upload your own photos and being able to really get the message. And what we ended up seeing was even amongst college age guys, there were folks that were excited about this personalization. We even saw guys bragging to strangers about the card they had just designed because it was so perfect. And it was something like we stepped back and we were thinking, imagine if you were in a Hallmark store and some millennial age guy starts bragging to you about the card that he just picked out. That'd be creepy. Like that would be so outside the normal. And we were seeing that. I would not have expected that either. (laughs) So that personalization, like that ability to make it easy for people to get to the right card. And then the other thing we saw was being able to meet people where they are already, being able to provide some sense of convenience. So for this, what we ended up, and as engineers, we said we can build anything. We ended up building this, basically, the idea was around like a red box for greeting cards or an ATM for greeting cards. So something that would be completely automated that we can set up anywhere. And the very first one of these that we built, it's still operating today. It's still printing cards. And it very much looks like three engineers built it. There is no design aesthetic at all. Like there's a screen at the height that you stand at and a card comes out the bottom. And honestly, refilling this thing with ink or cardstock or anything is a burden that involves disassembling most of the kiosk. Oh my gosh. We basically went up and down Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, where we're based, and talked to a number of different retailers trying to find a home and eventually found a home with this. It's an organic grocery store. And great location, great spot. That kiosk did well, does well today. And then from there, we ended up the next thing we said, okay, there's one of these, or like this, it's an organic grocery store, but it's a very unique organic grocery store. And we said like, there's no way this is going to scale. We need to find something else. Going back to the university, ended up convincing them to put two kiosks on the campus. And it was something that they basically said yes. So we went home and scrambled and built two more kiosks. Did they look the same? Were they the big red boxy type things again? No. So the first one was that that first one in the organic grocery store is this like funny shade of white and blue. And it's got enough paint on it that the whole thing looks like it's made out of plastic because our woodworking skills were a little mediocre. The next one looks kind of like something that would fit in a cracker barrel. It's very like stained wood. It's again, has way more pieces than necessary. And then the third one, we worked with some design students at Tech and got connected with a local cabinet maker. And that one actually looks fairly professional. It's got much more of a presence. It has clean lines. And that's the design that we ended up basically tweaking from then on. Got it. Yeah, so we ended up, got a couple of kiosks on Virginia Tech's campus, and these continued to do well. And at this point, we went out and did a small fundraising round from some friends and family. That got us to the point where we were able to get a fair number more kiosks out at different local stores, a handful of other colleges, a couple of other universities. And then we got a really cool opportunity with Rackspace, which is this big tech company. It competes with Amazon and Microsoft in different fields. And with Rackspace, they have this huge headquarters down in San Antonio and something like 10,000 employees. One of the big challenges we were facing with universities is that for a third of the year, they're empty. So a corporate campus provides a lot of the same feel of a college campus. It's just not empty. 
It's also full of people that have much more disposable income than college students. So we set up with Rackspace. That went really well. Started scaling that into a number of other corporate campuses. We're with like Intel. We've got a kiosk recently with Cisco. From there, we started scaling into military bases. So primarily Army and Air Force bases. And after doing this for about a year or two, we ended up getting connected with some convention. There was a fellow that came up and said, I've got this e-commerce website. I'm selling gifts. And he said, I would love to be able to offer a greeting card. He said, I would love to be able to do something. Because at this point, we've got 9,000 designs and all sorts of cool personalization and everything else. And it's, it's a really nice card when you print it out. And he said, I want to be able to offer that, but I want to be able to offer that through my website. So we went back and worked with our developers and ended up building a solution that was really easy to plug into a website and something that all of that smooth design experience that we had provided for the customers that had been honed over years of working in different locations and being able to find something that even the most hopeless guy in a rush could find a card that his wife would be happy with. We had that already, and we were able to take that and plug that into this guy's website. And he was thrilled. So what we've been doing since then is we've actually seen it looks like this is just kind of the way everything is shifting. There is such a huge market right now. You talk blue ocean, no sharks, where there is this huge opportunity to be able to partner with all of these different retailers who are in some kind of gifting business. And one of the things that really helps a gift stand apart, that really makes that gift unique and personalized and lets the recipient know just like exactly how you're feeling is that personalized greeting card. And we make it easy for any retailer of any size to offer greeting cards. Wow. So do you still do the kiosks then also and the online or has everything now transitioned to online your e-commerce platform? There are still kiosks out there. There are still kiosks doing business, but the vast majority of our resources right now are going towards either folks with like a website placing orders, or we've, in about a week or two, we're going to be launching this system that makes it easy if folks place an order over the phone for them to be able to design a personalized card or even brick and mortar shops. But it's something that's very much moving away from that focus around automated kiosks. Got it. So the automated kiosks are kind of in maintenance mode because you've got them out there, but you're seeing the opportunity is leaning the other way. Yep. And to use the wonderful entrepreneur term, we are we're pivoting the company in the direction of these <laughs> standalone <laughs> as opposed to automated kiosk solutions. Well, and much more scalable for you and also maintenance free. Exactly. All this talk is bringing to mind our sponsor. Let's hear from them right now. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. Share with everybody so they truly understand if they were to be producing one of the cards. What's the process that you go through to make a card? Do you do this as if you're the person who has card aisle in your store or do you do this as a customer who's online? I'm not sure which, you take it whichever way it's supposed to go. <laughs> I'm not <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> so I'm going to take it from the perspective of the retailer, just because that way you can see both sides. Okay. And so your customers come to your online shop just the way they would make any purchase. And we can set it up for your customers that they have two avenues to buy a greeting card. 
One option is just like any other upsell. So if a customer has the option of, you know, maybe they want to change the shipping, maybe they want faster shipping, or maybe they want to add a bottle of wine to a gift basket or a teddy bear to a floral arrangement or anything else like that, they've got the option of adding a personalized greeting card. And so here, there's just going to be a nice button on your page that says, add a personalized greeting card. When a customer clicks that button, pop-up appears. In that pop-up, they can search for a card much the same way you would use Google to search for images or anything else. And they can search by occasion, they can search by recipient, they can search, you know, if you're looking for a card with rainbows and unicorns, you can search for a card with rainbows and unicorns. And we have a fair number of those. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they also have the option if they want to upload their own photograph for their own image, they can do that as well. Oh, wow. And one other thing that just as a brief aside, they can do all this from their phone as well. So this is something, it looks good on a computer. It looks just as good on a cell phone. So important, Adam, as you know, because everyone's yeah. mobile now. And that's also where most people have their photographs. So if they want to upload a photo, there's a really good chance that photo is on their phone already. Right. So they pick the cover. On the inside, all of our artists will offer three suggestions because we found there's nothing more terrifying than a blank card where you have to come up with your own story. So the artist will offer three suggestions, and then the customer can personalize it. They can pick one of the suggestions, they can edit it. And what we see is most customers will pick one of the suggestions and then tweak it to personalize it. So they might add like an inside joke, they might put to Bob, love Sam, and they've got the card, then they click add to order, and they're done. So it's basically they pick the cover, they personalize the inside, and they hit add to order. From the customer standpoint, that's it. They're done. The one other avenue, as I mentioned, like they can do it as an upsell. They could also do it if they just wanted to buy a greeting card and they do that exact same process. So they pick a card, they personalize it, they add it to the order. Once the card's been added to the order, you get the, as the retailer, you would get the purchase order. You can see specifically, these are all the things that this customer ordered. Here's the shipping address. Here's all of the information that you need to fulfill that order. And in that information, we'll provide you this unique five-digit code. You take that five-digit code, you enter it into the printer that we've sent you. And the printer that we sent you is like the easiest printer in the world to set up. You don't even need to connect it to a computer. It's simply a printer that sits on a shelf anywhere you want. You connect it to the internet and you're done. You enter this five-digit code into the printer. That five-digit code uniquely identifies that card card prints out for you. You've got that card on the nice high quality card stock that we provided you with. You've got these nice envelopes that we provided you with. You put the whole thing together and however you're going to fulfill that order, whether it's in a box or hand delivery, you now have the card to go with it. Wow. That's incredible, Adam. So let me ask you this. So I can't buy a card directly from Card Isle. I would buy a card from someone who has the process within their shop, right? That's what we encourage. We do offer if anybody wanted to buy a card directly from us, they could do that. But we would much prefer to pass that business out to, out to all of our retail partners. And the big goal is pretty much, like as you mentioned in the introduction, we want to give the partners that selection of basically more selection than a Hallmark store, but without having all of that inventory and needing to worry about, is this card going to sell or is that card going to sell? Because the card's they're not printed until somebody buys the card. 
Right. So it opens up floor space for someone who has a brick and mortar too, which is always important you know, to have as much yeah. floor space for displays as you possibly can. But then someone as a consumer could also, let's say I had three cards that I needed to send out. I could just do it right from my own home because a brick and mortar or online, same, you could just buy the card only if you wanted, or you could buy the card and the product, any options. Exactly. Wow. All right. I want to walk through because we started with the steps earlier. I want to walk through and continue after we talked about the demand. I don't know if you guys listen to this, but I'm hearing this from you, Adam, this whole way through. And Gift Biz listeners, I would love for you, after we're done, take this from the top and really listen to how Adam talks. He continually is bringing in the benefits for the consumer. He was doing it when they were researching and he does it even when he's talking about the product. He talks about the ability to personalize, where they can utilize local artists, meeting a customer where they are already. So being right in the same footpath, which obviously makes it convenient towards a purchase. So he's always talking about benefits. Then they tested their first model. So remember, they had that kind of more rough draft on a college campus. Then they tested it with the kiosks. Three different versions there, too, which was interesting. And, oh my gosh, your story, you have so many great things, Adam. Then fundraising. So you notice where that came through within the system. They had a concept developed. They'd done a lot of testing before they actually went out and did fundraising. So really important. I'm not sure. We're not going to go into fundraising here because there's so many good things here. We can't do everything. But I just want people to recognize where that was in the process. Then step-by-step with the kiosks, they started getting into rack space, some significant corporate buildings, military bases, et cetera. So again, step-by-step, you see how it keeps elevating up and up and up. And then really significant point here is that you were listening when that person came and said, what about online? What about e-commerce? Because that, like you could have so easily discounted that idea and said, no, you know, we are knocking it out of the park. Look at the names of the places where we have. You could have just stayed with that, but you guys were open enough to listen. And look, now it's pivoted into the biggest opportunity available to you right now, Mm -hmm. right? Which is online because you can virtually offer this to the world. And I would, I don't know this for sure, but I would think in a much easier way because you're not having to make these kiosks now, maintain and support them, et cetera. This platform being online is so much easier. It is. In that vein, I'm sure there's other things too that aren't as easy. <laughs> so again, Gift Biz listeners, I would love for you to go back and listen to this and hear because even when we got into the online platform, you were starting to talk about what those benefits are, you know, in terms of being able to do it right online, you don't have the floor space you need, like all the benefits. I just wanted to run through that now. So here you are, you've got the systems in play. What's happening now? So right now we're continuing in the spirit of experimentation. We are looking largely at retailers that do some level of gifting. We just, this past weekend, went to a floral trade show out in California, met some amazing florists. It was a very similar feel to what we got at the Gift Basket Conference, where we met you, Sue, that -hmm. just amazing entrepreneurs doing really interesting things and the kind of folks that are interested in trying new things and looking at better ways to serve their customers. It's a lot of fun being around like-minded people that are looking to go out there and basically shake up the same industries that we're looking to shake up. 
And so what we're doing right now is we're pretty much in that stage where we've got a really solid product and we're looking to scale. We're looking to find out which industries this works best in. And we're also looking at how do we set up our existing retail partners to be even more successful. So one example of that, we've heard feedback talking mentioned very early on with the 700 interviews. We're really focused on learning from the people that are using our product what's working from them. And we've been hearing from a lot of the folks that have our e-commerce plugin that they do a significant number of their orders over the phone. So we were saying, how can we help you be successful with those orders over the phone where you can include a greeting card? And so some of the ideas, and we're still in this experimental stage. So anybody who is existing, like existing retailers that we're working with or other folks that are interested in trying something out, we're totally game to run experiments. And what we're looking at right now is something where when somebody places an order over the phone, there's either an email address or a phone number that goes with that order to be able to allow you to follow up with that customer afterwards. What we can do is once that order is placed, we can set it up that you get one button to push and we're looking at integrating this into a point of sale. So nothing new to learn, nothing new right there. You hit add a greeting card, that customer buys the greeting card when they place the phone order You then hit that button, send them an email. They have 6, 12, 24 hours, whatever you determine is the time, where they design the card. They now design it at their convenience. And you know this customer is looking for that personal, that high-quality experience. That's why they called you in the first place. And now you're able to elevate their experience, make their life easier, make their gift better, and you make a little more money off of the sale. Perfect. This is a perfect segue because where I wanted to go, you must have been reading my mind, Adam. (laughs) Okay. This is something that has not existed before. How did you start thinking about a pricing structure? Again, with the spirit of experimentation, we tried stuff out. We reached out to some local folks that we knew that we had a little more of a relationship with, found out what they were paying for similar kind of products, and said, okay, if that's what you're paying for a similar product, here's how we can either meet or beat that, or here's how we're going to provide you something that offers so much more value than what you currently have that you're going to be game for paying a little bit more. Okay. So you weren't just looking for a low price play for sure. No. Because the whole experience is different. The interaction and the result is different. It's so customized. People are willing to pay for that. Exactly. And we ended up finding in the greeting card market, if you're looking at the end user, there's actually not that much price sensitivity. And you'll find a lot of people whine and complain all the time about how expensive greeting cards are. But at the end of the day, most people, when they're buying a card, they need the card. So they're going to buy it. So our mentality was we said, okay, there's the option to gouge customers, but that's not really in our company ethos. That's not the culture we want to build. So we said we want to look for what's a fair price. And so for most customers, somewhere in that ballpark of about $5 seemed to be something that people would pay it. It would feel fair. They wouldn't feel ripped off. They'd be happy with it. And everybody could move forward. Well, not only that, but I'm kind of feeling from your description, because I haven't actually seen one of these cards yet, is that it's also a keepsake. It's not just a card. Now, granted, I get that there are a lot of people out there who keep and retain their cards, right? But this, if you're able to add a personal photo or for sure sayings, like all of that, this is something that people are going to really keep and maybe even display the photo. You never know. So it's way more than just a card. Exactly. Yeah. And the material, as you mentioned, without 
seeing the card to just describe it briefly. We actually did, again, as with everything else, a fair amount of customer research, trying to find what's the best card stock. And as I'm sure many of your listeners are aware, there are innumerable options for ways that you can buy card stock. And our initial plan was, as engineers, we figured more options are better. So we gave people about half a dozen options for card stock. And it turned out most people know nothing about card stock. And half a dozen <laughs> options just like shut them down. It's too much. Yeah. Uh, it's too much. And it's one of those things where we've got a bunch of card designs on the cover. The average consumer is really good at picking, I like this design. And we're really good at processing a bunch of visual information quickly. So we haven't seen that slow anybody down. But choosing, instead of like 9,000 cards, that was easy. Nobody had any problem. And we provide really easy search tools. So you're not looking at 9,000 cards at once. But picking that card stock, that shut people down. So what we ended up going with was we found 90% of our customers liked this one particular card stock after they had a chance to feel all of them. So like they got to interact, they got to play. The card stock feels almost like what you would expect from a small boutique store where it's got on the cover a little bit of texture. It's almost like a canvas type texture. And then on the inside is a nice smooth matte finish. And what we found is that photographs or vector graphics or any other image looks really good on the cover. And it's something where even when folks are uploading photographs, because every now and then you find someone that only has that low resolution photo of grandma, but that's the photo that they love of grandma, it smooths out that pixelation a little bit. So every image looks really good on the cover of this, and it feels good when you hold it. Well, that worked out really well, too, because then someone who has this printer doesn't have to have multiple different cards, because then just in terms of the consumable, it would be more expensive. Exactly. And it's another element in processing. What if they don't put it on the right card stock? <laughs> you know, all of that. Yeah. So <laughs> it ended up your research really went in your favor, too. It did on this one, Yeah. <laughs> And I love the fact that you're talking about with pricing, you weren't looking at being the lowest price. You weren't just going to compete on price, but you also recognize that what you're providing with the customization has greater value. So it sounds like your price point is absolutely perfect. But I want to take, there's so many places we can go with this story and such limited amount of time. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the rough patches because it's not all beautiful story as you progress through all these steps. There had to be some challenges. Can you share with us one of those stories? Yeah. So one of the things that you need when you get an automated kiosk, you need some way of accepting payment. And so we had these credit card readers initially. And the credit card readers are designed for vending machines, like a Coke machine or a snack machine. And if you've ever seen inside a Coke or snack machine, this is not high-tech, fancy, anything else. This is like Stone Age kind of technology. But it works, and it's really robust. But what we had was something. We had a computer. We had printers. We had a lot of much more modern technology inside our kiosk. Well, you also probably had to accept credit cards. You're not going to put in $5 worth of coins. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. It was only credit cards that we were accepting. So we had that card swipe on there. And so we had taken these card swipes from vending machines. We had worked with the manufacturer and he assured us that this would work with just through like a standard USB connection. And so we had these credit card readers plugged in and it was, again, like I 
that this was not a smooth customer experience. There was a little screen on the credit card reader. And at some point in the process, we had a big arrow that told customers, you know, look down at that screen because we couldn't actually do any interaction because it was just this very simple credit card reader. And the first one we got, it worked great. That first credit card reader we put on the first kiosk, no problems. The next one we got, for whatever reason, worked 70% of the time. Oh, (laughs) we had set it up on this kiosk at Virginia Tech's campus and had that credit card reader set up there. And we sat and babysat that kiosk for like two weeks where we tried troubleshooting. So this was pretty much any time during normal business hours, one of us would be sitting there in the student center watching the kiosk. Oh, no. And we were doing like all sorts of things, working with the vendor. The vendor shipped us a replacement. Turned out the replacement also had this same bug and finally sorted out. But it was a lot of hours of hanging out in a student center, watching people. And Oh, my gosh. What year was that, Adam? I believe that was 2014. So I'm trying to place it about the time when some of the mobile card readers came out. So it was probably right at that time or just before. It was just before. So there really wasn't a lot of that technology available yet. Exactly. Yep. All right. So you guys are sitting there. So talk about customer service, right? You're sitting (laughs) there. Although you got a chance to talk with the people who were interested. So that's kind of good because you could do a lot of research then also if you want to look on the bright side of that problem. Yeah. Yeah. If you tried really hard to find the bright side. Yeah. Try really hard. So how did this all get resolved? So we ended up finally after having these two troublesome units, we said, why don't we try switching the unit with the switching the credit card reader off of the original kiosk, the one that had been working and bringing that over. And that ended up basically illuminating it right there. That turns out we managed to get very lucky or unlucky, depending on how you frame it and getting two bum units, one right after the other. And... Yeah, after that, it turned out because of the way that we were using the credit card readers, it was a little off-label. So when we were working with the vendor, the credit card readers that didn't work for us still worked fine for the vending machines. And so he would go through and he would actually test every credit card reader before he sent it to us to see, is this one of the ones that will work with the USB connection? Or is this one of the ones that only works in a vending machine? Gotcha. Well, boy, that talks about the quality of your vendor too, though. It does. And important for all of us, that's just a good little side note, is having vendors who will go the extra mile for you. You only need those card readers not to work a few times, especially when you're getting into some of the larger named companies where they're going to say, just get this out of here. We're not interested. Exactly. And so now today, I'm assuming that the card readers are running nice and smooth. <laughs> We're actually not <laughs> using those card readers anymore. Yeah, we built our own system from scratch. Now, yeah. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> Okay. So are you, David and Stefan, all still partners in the company? We are still partners in the company. Yep. So share a little bit of insight in terms of how that works, because I know several for sure, but I'm sure there's way more than that of our listeners are in partnerships. And sometimes that can be challenging. And you know, I think of a partnership as maybe two people. You guys are three. So what advice do you have for people who are in partnerships? Yeah. So one of the early things that we ended up finding was having the partnership because all three of us are folks that going through school and whatnot, we were not people that liked working on teams and getting that right partner makes a world of difference. And so having someone that you can count on, someone that you can trust, someone that you can really go to bat for and know they're going to do the same for you 
that's huge. And then along those lines, by having somebody else, inevitably, you're going to come on rough times. You're going to come on times when you're hanging out for two weeks watching kiosk or when revenue is not where you want it or anything else. And having somebody else who's in the trenches with you, having somebody else who is there and feeling the burn just the same way you are. I feel like for us, that is a significant reason why we're here, because this is, as all of us are aware, like this is not a journey for the faint of part. By any stretch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One other thing that was kind of counterintuitive to us initially, but we started out with no hierarchy. We were all three equal partners in this, and all decisions were made kind of by unanimous vote. And this worked well initially when we were kind of small, kind of moving slow. But as we started to scale, this got to be unwieldy, but it was something that internally, none of us were the ones that were going to make waves. We didn't want to be the ones to change it. And when we went out and did, like after that friends and family round of investment, we went out and did a much larger round of investment from a handful of angel investors and some institutional investors. And one of the things that they shared, and they said, this isn't a mandate, but something that would be really good if it happened, is you need to come up with a CEO. You need someone that's going to be taking the reins, somebody who is going to make the tough decisions, and someone who at the end of the day is the one that really owns any of those tough decisions and the responsibility. That was rough. That was something that changed the structure a lot. And honestly, the way we ended up doing it was we flipped a coin and said, whoever wins gets to be CEO for a month. And if it works well for a month, you get to continue being CEO. And I won the coin toss and still CEO today. Well, congratulations on that. (laughs) I was expecting you to say Stefan because it was his idea initially. Yeah. Well, so one of the other things that we found that's kind of interesting is that in the startup world, ideas are almost cheap. Like there's a lot of people that have ideas, a lot of people that have different brilliant ideas they come up with. Anybody that's watched Shark Tank that said, hey, I came up with that idea however far back, you realize that ideas have been around. But at the end of the day, it's the execution. And it's how do you take that idea and turn it into something like real and tangible that really sets things apart. So the idea was like, Clearly, that was huge. That made a a world of a difference. But that's step one of many, many, many steps. And so have you also then divided responsibilities so everyone is heading a certain function within the whole? We have. And it's something, one of the things that I really like about working with David and Stefan is that we have a rough breakdown, but there are different times when something big comes in where we're able to really shift and kind of overlap a lot. So there isn't like one task that only one person can do. Mm -hmm. And if there's something that happens or comes up that someone has a real skill in being able to handle, then you just send it over there. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I loved your comment that you just made, which was about it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to be able to move forward on that idea and then actually have it work. Because just like you're talking about all the different steps and all the pivots and adjustments and testing and all of that that you've done to get to the point where you are now, and to hear you saying you're still open to new ideas, other testing, you know, wherever this is going to lead you in the future is spectacular. It's great words of wisdom for someone who's just starting out. What else would you say to somebody who is thinking they have their idea, they're thinking of moving forward? 
you've given them a million ideas right here. So that's fabulous. But what would you say on a motivational side for someone who just hasn't taken that action yet? So coming from academia, that was my original plan. I told you at the beginning, going for the PhD, my original goal was I wanted to be a mechanical engineering professor. And that's still something like somewhere in the future that will likely happen. But one of the big differences that I saw between academia and the world of entrepreneurs is the willingness of entrepreneurs to help other people. And it's something that I don't know if it's the realization that we all know just how hard this is. And we all know just how little we'd be able to accomplish without the help of other people. I don't know quite what it is. But it seems like in this world of entrepreneurs, there is such a culture of being able to help each other and being able to support each other and being able to figure out ways of collectively solving a problem together and going out and being willing to go and talk to these folks, being willing to find mentors and being willing to find the folks that can help you be successful. I think it's just going to save you so much time because there's so many things that other people have done, other paths that they've been down, that they've been down the path. You don't need to reinvent that wheel. Yeah, you can walk the path so much faster. Exactly. Perfect. I love that advice. And now, because you've shared so much with us, we would like to share with you. I'd like to present you on behalf of myself and all the listeners, a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? So I love creating. I love starting things. And I love especially with the, like, I love being an entrepreneur. And so inside my box, this is pretty much the ability to build a career around entrepreneurship. To be able to continue to do this, to have it something where Cardile is one of many startups that I get to do over my lifetime. This is just the first, right? This is just the first. Okay, so we're going to keep our eye on you (laughs) to see what else comes (laughs) up along the way for sure. Is there one single place where you would direct any of our listeners who are out and about right now and just want to touch base and see a little bit more about what Cardile is about? Where's one single place that you would send them? Our website, so it's cardisle.com. And one of the things with the name, just as a, a quick side story, initially when we were doing research, we kept talking about going to the cardisle, like in the grocery store, you go to the cardisle. And me, I'm married to an English teacher, so I know how to spell words correctly. My other Uh-oh. two founders <laughs> as engineers kept spelling aisle like a grocery store aisle, I-S-L-E. So when it came time to come up with a name for the company, we kind of enjoyed the idea of Card Isle, but Isle is spelled I-S-L-E, and the logo has a nice, colorful toucan, and we go with the island theme a whole lot. So the website is cardisle.com, and with Isle spelled I-S-L-E. I love that. That's kind of a jab. (laughs) (laughs) And Gift Biz listeners, you know that there'll be a show notes page attached with also the links to social media sites and anything else we decide to put on there, as well as the top points in this very, very valuable interview. I hope you guys go back and listen to this again and again, because there is so much here for all of us. Adam, thank you. I really, really appreciate connecting with you today and talking about your whole story. And I look forward to seeing what comes next with you. I know it's going to be great. (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. 
Are you discouraged because your business is not performing as you had envisioned? Are you stuck and confused about how to turn things around? Sue's new best-selling book is structured to help you identify where the holes are in your business and show you exactly how to fix them. You'll learn from Sue and owners just like you who are seeing real growth and are living their dream. Maker to master. Find and fix what's not working in your small business. Get it on Amazon or through www.giftbizunwrapped.com master.